Yes, yes. The the problem is Brent never see see it this way. They're like, oh, promotion folder. It's like less good than than the inbox, which. I, I would somehow agree with this like thinking for some emails. Like obviously your transactional emails, password requests, welcome emails, you don't want them to go to promotion. But I, I also say to the people that yeah, promotion is not spam. Like you can still have very, very good open rates into promotion. And 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 you have to look at the the level of interaction and the way. Like give you an example. For example, we had like a a client that went from promotion to main inbox for uh, because we changed the content, we were able to refine the wording and all that. He goes, his email, he did have higher open rates, maybe like 20% higher open rates from going to promotion to main inbox. Now, what happened as well is the unsubscribe rates and the spam rates went up because people were used to getting that email into promotion. And now they get into main inbox and they're like, that shouldn't be here, you know? It's too aggressive. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so fast forward, like a month and a half down the line, his email went back into promotion and even started going into spam because of the amount of negative right. interaction that it generated into, into the main folder. Today in unboxing, Pierre Pignon, CEO and founder at Melsor. Welcome back to another episode of Inboxing. I'm Hilloberg, your host. Uh, Inboxing is brought to you by the great people at OnGage. OnGage is a fantastic platform to do email marketing with, have amazing deliverability, and they really give you a lot of opportunity. And really, you should find out more about it by going to OnGage.com and reading all about it. Our guest today is also a friend of OnGage's because he's a deliverability man. Like, he knows all about deliverability, that's his business. It's helping people, basically like he's got the jail, get in, get in a jail free card of email marketing. That's not free at all. Getting into spam sucks, and we'll talk all about that. And um, so anyway, without further ado, uh, please welcome Pierre Pignol. Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. How did, I do, how did I do on your last name? Like, we didn't go over it, but... Uh... Oh, my last name is Pignol. <laughs> Yeah, so I said it right. All right. It's like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was perfect. It was perfect. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> for sure. For sure. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about it. Like the word in English sign has a G in it. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate having you here. And um, yeah. And so let's just jump right in. So what got you into email marketing? Well, I, I've always been someone who, who liked math and numbers. I think email deliverability is a lot about data analytics, making sure you obviously have the right settings on a technical standpoint, but the behavior of the customer is something that does matter a lot as well. So I, um, I did a lot of internship. When I was uh, at school, and uh, they would typically give me the emailing, you know, because it's kind of like what you give to the intern. It cannot make too much damages. If he's good, maybe he'll close a couple of sales or he'll improve something. But, um, you know, back maybe like five, six years ago, emailing for most companies wasn't such a key activity, or at least for smaller companies, right? So um, I, I kind of started taking care of, of emailing infrastructure, marketing infrastructure, and, and I, I, just you know, I it was I, I worked a lot in the US for three years in California. 
And then I got back in France because, um, uh, as you may know, the visas in the US are never, <laughs> never an easy <laughs> thing to stay for a long time there. So I had to get back in France at some point. I, I had to kind of find a job where I could bring value and still um, enjoy what I was doing. And I realized quickly that I was kind of the only one in my surrounding who knew the basics of how to get an email delivered properly, right? Most of the marketing will be handled by the in-house team of the company. So they didn't really need me for this, but um, I could really easily stay on a, on a remote position and just say, look, my role is going to be making sure that we set up guidelines, we respect those guidelines, and we track some metrics to make sure your emails are properly delivered into main inbox. So I kind of started this way. I started the freelancing first, basically had one, two, three clients. Um, I was basically starting to sell my services to the same industry. So a lot of SaaS companies, uh, you know, software as a service, because they, they typically send a lot of emails. Their emails are usually wanted, like they, they don't do much cold emailing. So for me, it was, it was a great occasion to kind of uh, learn with experience was actually email deliverability because even though I had experience, I didn't know everything. And so I did freelancing for about, you know, a year, year and a half. One thing with email deliverability, it's something that you can have a long-term action on. Like you can come with an audit, you help them implement the best practices, but a lot of companies were actually demanding that I somehow have a long-term support role and I would have to stay in the company for um, you know years at a time, basically making sure those best practices were, were still applied. And so I got to the point where I had too many clients just for me. And so I set up a company, the company name is Mailsor. I hired my, my first employee in June 2020. And, and now, you know, fast forward to 2022, um, we get about 12 people working in the company. Um, wow. And um, it's, uh, it's a great business. It's very interesting. We have senders from all over the world, different type of sender, not SAAS anymore only, uh, mm -hmm. but a lot of marketing agency, e-commerce, just brick and mortars that are sending emails as well that wants to have great deliverability. Um, we, we are born during coronavirus, so everyone is, is remote, so we, we do not have an actual um, permanent location. But I think COVID actually helped us out a little bit because a lot of people during COVID realized their email were going into spam because in the past they didn't have really like the occasion to uh, send emails to maybe their, their co-workers or their partners. They will go to see them. So yeah, we, we're born during coronavirus and, and it hasn't affected us negatively as, as far as I can tell right now. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about how I built the company. Okay. And you mentioned you were in California for three years. Was that related to email at all or was it something else? Um, that was partly related to email. I was I was a sales manager for a startup. So I managed a team of, of salespeople over there. We were doing emailing, but it was marketing mostly, you know, nurturing. And we were also doing a lot of cold calling, a lot of visits to the clients. Um, location um it was a mix right it was not only emailing uh but yes there was there were emailing in there and that's also how i i learned email a little bit uh-huh okay now what do you find upsetting you know in your own inbox well spam like i, I don't like spam. <laughs> <laughs> i have a lot of emails in general that requires attention so i i don't like to get emails that are that are not relevant i would say i also don't like when 
regular emails that I need to get go into spam for some reason. So either because they're, um, you know, there's a problem on the setting end or either because their content or their management of the database is not perfect. So yeah, that, that upsets me as well when I'm, I'm supposed to get an email and it gets into spam and, and the client is like, Hey, well, why did you not reply to me? And it's because <laughs> it goes to my spam folder. <laughs> Right. I mean, yeah, I just dealt with that. And it was funny because it was like the fifth email in a thread, you know, like their reply went to spam. Like, and it's not like somebody who, like, why would that happen? <laughs> like, well, sometimes it's wrong time, simply, you know, like they may be using their main domain to send a lot of different emails. Maybe you just came at the time where they were delivering a big batch of email, didn't get the correct engagements. Maybe it's the content. I mean, um, you know, the content is rarely like the number one reason why you land into spam. But in some cases of like links, specific links that that could be uh, flagged as mm. malicious or spammy. Um, yeah, it's difficult to tell as well sometimes. <laughs> Right. I just, I, but it's funny you mentioned like emails you expect to get going to spam, you know, and yeah, like, like spam is sticky. <laughs> so that's exactly why we're here talking about it. All right. So we kind of talked about, you know, what brought you to start MailSore. I guess you're overwhelmed as a freelancer and it was time and it was a good time yeah. and it was a great move. All right. So let's go to PRs. You know, what are, you, what are your five tips to being deliverable? Well, first, you need to authenticate your emails. They do matter and they matter more and more, you know, like SPF and, and DKIM and even beyond that, the, the DMARC record that now a lot of people talks about. It, it's somehow mandatory. It's like having your driving license on the road. Um, so <laughs> I, I would say that, that you need those authentication properly. And, and it's not a big deal. There's a lot of good resources, even for people that are not in the deliverability world to complete them, to check them. A lot of you know tools will allow you to make sure you have the proper authentication without necessarily being an expert in email deliverability. So I, I would say that it does matter a lot. I, I think you have to also make sure that you think about the engagement of the lists that you're sending. You know, it's kind of like an incentive for the spam filter to place you into main inbox. Like if you have one person out of three in your list who opens and who has positive interaction with your emails, it will be a very strong message to the spam filter than what you're actually sending is relevant, right? If only one out of 10 or one out of 20 do open and do something great with your email, it's again, the strong message that your content is not really relevant or valued by the people you're sending to. So yeah, you, you have to think about the engagement and that also correlates to one of the spam, getting out of spam tactics, being focused on your prior openers, because this way you generate higher open rates and you make sure that you give that incentive to the spam filter. I would also say, you know, you it's related to the engagement as well, but you need to sunset the old contact, right? Sunsetting means you give them one chance to re-engage with your content, maybe with like a, a last email, a last email flow. If those old contacts that haven't interacted with your database in a long time, they don't open, they don't do something with your content, you need to remove them at some points. Otherwise, they will 
impact the deliverability of the news covers that may want to get your emails reliably. So putting a sunsetting policy is also something very important. Yeah, segment your traffic type. It's kind of like don't send your marketing emails from your transactional channel. Make sure you use subdomains to really um, help the spam filter identify what you're send what you're sending. Tr- transparency is obviously a big thing. The, the the easier the job of the spam filter will be, the better your inboxing will be. So uh, if you send notification that are generating from an app, then you can use you know app dot your domain dot com. If you're sending marketing emails, manual marketing emails, maybe you can send like email.yourcompany.com. You can be very creative with those uh, those subdomains. The subdomains, right? Yeah, but, but, but make sure that you use them to really segment your traffic as much as possible. Right. And the, the last thing that I would say is uh, five unsubscribes are, are better than one spam reports. So um, do not hesitate to have very explicit uh, unsubscribe button. It's not a shame to have a spam button at the uh, unsubscribe button, sorry, at the top of your email, because yeah, it's, it's a way to also tell the spam filter that you're someone who respects the opinion and the privacy of your subscribers by giving them very easy opt-out link. So it, it can sometimes be a really beneficial thing for a sender. Okay. Uh, just a question about, you mentioned subdomains, like when you set up SPFs and, and DKIMs and, and authentication, every do- subdomain is its own? Well, it depends on, on, on the record. You have options on when you set up a records on whether it needs to apply to the main domain and the subdomain as well. Typically, we would want to have something specific for every subdomain. I, I think, you know, DMARC, basically make sure uh, to tell the recipient server what to do with the unauthenticated email. You want a strict DMARC for your clients, but you also don't want to impact the rest of their sending devices. Maybe they're not perfectly authenticated. So when you set up a subdomain on a given platform and you're responsible for the deliverability out there, you usually want to have a strict DMARC, but just on this platform, because you don't want to be um, annoying your clients. Like you're, you, you may not know that they're using, you know, Zendesk, Mailchimp, whatever for other type of email across the world. Um, and when you raise the DMARC to reject, that will impact them because they're not properly authenticated. So always try to be as granular as you can. Um, at least that's what we do. Okay. Uh, what are the top pitfalls of deliverability? I would say. Well, things that I see pretty often will be trying to boost your subscriber counts by adding a purchase list. I see a lot of like very amazing companies that have their that are generating opt-ins, but but they get an occasion to like use a list of of uh, competitors or to purchase a list. It's obviously very tempting because you're gonna boost your subscriber counts and 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 you will get some subscriber out of this. But most of the time, you also put at risk your deliverability. You, you get a lot of uh, a higher spam report rates, a higher unsubscribe rates, lower positive engagement rates, you know, in terms of open clicks and all that. So I would say it's one of the reasons why sometimes good senders end up in spam is because they did purchase the lists. Also not being explicit or transparent enough on the signup form. Um, I, I read, I run across this on the audits when someone, for example, says, Oh, like I'm generating like 5,000 opt-ins per day. When you actually look at the signup form, 
it, it doesn't actually say that they're going to get one very aggressive marketing emails per day. <laughs> it's more like general, you know, like sign up to get like very interesting tips about this topic. And then they get everything else than very interesting tips about this topic. So the transparency on your, on your signup form will make sure that down the line, your subscribers do not have negative interactions. So spam reports, unsubscribe, and, 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 and so on. The last one, I would say it's related to the segmentation of your traffic type, you know, not using subdomains. One reason for this is because if you use your main domain everywhere, and if you have issue with the deliverability somewhere, uh, usually it will communicate everywhere because you're using your your main domain everywhere. So there's a degree of communication, like, you know, spam, spam contagion, basically. Uh, the second reason is because we cannot know where the problem actually comes from because you're not using any subdomain. So if you had each sending outlet delegated with one subdomain, we could very easily say, okay, that's this subdomain who's having deliverability issue. It's related to your marketing infrastructure. Let's audit this and see what happened. If you're using your main domain everywhere, maybe it's the marketing, maybe it's the transactional, maybe it's your corporate activity, maybe it's your salesperson who started doing cold emailing. You don't know. So segmentation is very important even in the future you know, for uh, maintaining the good infrastructure. Okay. Can the, can the most egregious... You know, spammers of the world get back, you know, like, can, you know, can they come out of the, you know, people that have been doing buying lists, sending millions of emails, breaking every rule in the book. Do they still have hope to get out of that um, spam? Yeah, yeah, they, they will still have hope. I don't think I've never seen a case where someone wasn't able to recover domain. The only thing is you have to make a um, cost versus benefits analysis at some point, like. Having a new subdo and a new domain, uh, obviously it's a change of brand. It will change a lot of things in your backend. But for some company, it's not that much of a big deal. I mean, what do they have? They have a website. They can change the URL pretty easily. Uh, they have a sign-up form. Same. They will change the URL of the sign-up form. Getting a new domain will take them about three weeks of warm-up and let's say total one month and a half to basically be back at like a regular performance. If you if we can recover your domain within one month and a half, then we should probably work on recovering your domain. If we can't, and if it's going to be a six-month battle, then maybe we're better off actually using a side domain, uh, a new domain. So yeah, it's kind of like a cost versus benefit. For, for other companies, like for the really big companies, they usually can't change their domain because it's just too many things that are tied to it like software automations even like marketing branding they've, they've invested you know tons of money on this so if, if that's really an issue we can recover any domain right but usually those reputable companies probably aren't the worst offenders of well it it's i would say it's <laughs> Depends. <laughs> it depends because the problem is also bigger companies, they uh, duplicate the issue a lot. Like a small companies will, for example, have a couple of salespeople. Let's say they start doing cold emailing. They're going to hardly send more than 100,000 emails or something like this. I've came across like big SaaS company with like a team of 80 salespeople using the main domain to send cold emails. And so it was very, very difficult for them to actually resolve the issue because of the amount of cold emails that were sent. So 
I wouldn't say that big companies do better. It's just that when they do a mistake, it usually has a bigger impact just because of the sheer size of, of the organization and the amount of emails that they're sending. Okay. Is there anything you can learn from from looking at like your bounce rates and or the different types if it's a soft bounce, about a hard bounce, like uh well yeah, you can send why your emails you, you can learn why your emails was not delivered. It's a very important step in auditing an infrastructure to make sure that we understand why you're having a reputation problem or why you're having deliverability problem, right? So most common type of bounce is obviously the emails that are not existing. It's very easy, very straightforward. You clean your list and you put a, a filter on your side of form to make sure people don't use a bad email to access your white paper or access your website, right? But you also get e bounces that are due to the reputation. Like you can get blocked at a specific destination. Like Microsoft does that a lot, like block you and then send you soft bounce code that, that you're actually blocked. Um, maybe it's the size of your mails. You're trying to deliver emails with a lot of uh, attachment or e or images. You you must be kind of careful with the bounces you're generating and learn from them. I mean, um, they uh, ideally an, an ideal email infrastructure. They will always have a couple of hard bounces, maybe like 0.1, just because you always have a percentage of your list that will stop using their emails and you can't do anything about this. That's okay. But in terms of soft bounces, you, you need to have the lowest amount of soft bounces possible, like close from 0.0%. Uh, if not, then look at your bounce code and, and learn what's going on and, and fix it. It's pretty straightforward. Right. And also look at your infrastructure. Like if you have like a sign-up form, potentially like some sign-up form gets a lot of spam coming through it. Like bad email addresses are coming through that. Yeah, we track we, that right and protect. We, you know, protect. We've your seen. Uh, we've seen. Um, for example, like one of the most detrimental events that could arise is we we have seen uh, sign-up form attacks uh, in some industry. You know, like um, a competitor. I, I don't. We, we don't even know if it's a competitor, but someone. We'll, we'll, we'll get a bot to use invalid address to sign up to an unprotected form. Usually they'll do it at a time of the day where you're not awake because this way you can't do anything. So, you know, start like 2 a.m. and then ends at like 6 a.m. or whatever. Uh, and then within that time frame, they'll sign up like 100,000 or 500,000 invalid emails to your infrastructure. And so what's going to happen is you're going to send potentially welcome emails that are all going to bounce. So that's going to be an issue for your reputation. Um, and then if you don't have the right bounce processing within your software, which means you're not discarding the bounces properly, you may end up sending multiple times to those bad emails. Some of them may be spam traps. Some of them uh, may be emails that used to be valid, but are not valid anymore. So it's, it's very, very difficult to avoid them without a proper filtering. Um, so, so that's something we always, always put in place. Obviously, like for, for the small clients, it may not matter as much, but for any major clients that we work with, they need to have like, you know, a captcha and all that, but also a filtering against invalid emails. Okay. How can companies stay on the pulse? You know, really have like inside like a report or, you know, uh, some kind of tool, say, tool perhaps um, that they really know what's going on, you know, with every send. I, I would say 
they need to look at their internal metrics first. Like it's a really good sign. I mean, we, we talked a lot about Apple mail privacy protection that's messing up the open rates a little bit. But I mean, come on, like the open rates are still something that you can rely on. Like I, I don't think like, you know, if you if, if your email flow goes from like 60% to like 15%, it's not Apple MPP, right? It's just that your email <laughs> Spam. So it, you you can still uh, monitor your internal metrics. Don't take them as an accurate number. Don't say like, oh, I got 60%. So exactly like <laughs> six out of 10 will open my email. Just take them as a meaningful, right? It's different. Accurate and meaningful is different. Accurate means it's the correct one. Meaningful means you can just make informed decision based on the variation. So 60% means you typically have good inboxing. I mean, depending if it's your password request, it's probably a little low. But if it's a marketing email, it's probably really great. But now if your 60% turns into 25, then you know something happened. It's not just the tracking pixel that didn't open or something like that. It's beyond this. Um, so yeah, track your internal metrics. There's a lot of like free tools that you can use as well. Like for example, Google Postmaster is very important. They're external metrics. Um, they're free. They're easy to sign up. Um, and they'll give you insights on, um, well, for Google Postmaster, for example, on your IP domain reputation, which is quite important, quite interesting for you. Um, it will give you your spam rate, which is a, a key metric. And, and now they're not reporting it to like the other people. Like a Gmail is not telling, for example, uh, SendGrid, OnGage, whoever, that you've actually been reported as spam. They keep that information for themselves and they display it in the Google Postmaster interface. So it's You're saying really when, when somebody clicks spam in Gmail, it's not getting back to the ESP? No. Wow. No, 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 they're, they're, they're never doing this. They're, they're never doing this. Um, and, and, and they're not even, I mean, you you will see some reports, but it's not reliable at all. And, and what we also suspect is even on their Google Postmaster spam rates that they're actually not fully reporting everything. They're just reporting like, let's say, uh, I don't know, like you have like 0.2% on a given day. You may actually get 0.6%, but they just wanted to show you 0.2% and keep the rest for themselves. You know, like data privacy, subscriber privacy is a really big deal these days. So they will usually hide behind like, oh, we're not giving information because it's it's private. It's personal information. Yeah. Um, Even though it's not, it's totally anonymized. You know what I mean? Like you don't know who it is. It's just a number. No, you, you, know. you don't know who it is. Well, you don't know who it is, but they still think it's a personal information. Although they do, I mean, like Google spam, Google Postmaster does give you rights, so they they still give you the information. We can just question the accuracy of. Okay. It. You know, it's not that they don't want it's that they they may not give you the entire picture. But again, like it doesn't matter. We're not looking for accuracy. We're looking for something meaningful. Like we know that a, a, a compliance spam rate is 0.1, Whether you have 1% or 3%, you're over the limit. <laughs> you're way over. You're, you're yeah. going 120 miles an hour. In a, in exactly. A we, we, we have to, <laughs> to reduce your spam rate. So yeah, I, I would say, you know, for a company who wants to monitor their infrastructure, use what you have. It's free and it should usually be easy to set up. So Look at your internal metrics. Look at Google Postmaster. Um, 
Microsoft SNDS is, is a little bit com more complicated to set up, but I mean, it's not the end of the world. Basically, the, the, the postmaster of Microsoft Yahoo feedback loop is not perfectly. I think it's lacking some data visualization. Like it's only like a reporting by email with like who actually, um, you know, how many spam complaints did you get on a given day? How many bounces? So, um, it lacks some visual reporting interface. So we don't really work with that. But yeah, you have a lot of free tools that are available to monitor your deliverability. And then beyond that, you have a lot of services like Glock app, Mail Monitor. They're providing you with seed lists of emails. Um, you can send emails to that seed list, see where your email was received. Again, not perfectly accurate, but a meaningful yeah, metric. But it gives you a window. It gives you yeah, and it's very visual. You can see, that, oh, okay, all my emails at, at Gmail are landing into promotion, for example. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the promotion folder. Or all my emails at Outlook are landing into spam. And it gives you a great panorama. And it's usually, um, for us, we, we use it because the client's understanding is very important if we need to implement something on his infrastructure, right? So if we can serve him something visual that catches his attention and that says, look, like 100% of your traffic in, in, in Microsoft and its subsidiaries are going to spam, then, yeah, it's, it's, it's very easy for him to then say, okay, well, I'll, I'll start actioning, you know, all of the plan of action that you've given me because it's an emergency and I have to get back to main inbox. The other tools are a little bit less visual, so it's sometimes a little bit more difficult to like, make them change and action what we, what we told them without that. Okay. Email marketers who run high-volume email programs know that the ease with which you can make decisions impacts campaign success. And that's why OnGage made sure it's easy to act on, optimize, and leverage your data. With OnGage, you'll be able to send your customers on personalized journeys based on the data from an action-based dashboard and with in-depth reporting. To learn more, visit hillberg.com OnGage and discover what OnGage can do for you. Well, we mentioned a lot, you know, like obviously the way we do marketing and, and try to get, you know, build a list in a way that you know you're getting engagement. That's like probably the key thing for the, the reliability. But I always wonder, like, you know, the size of the email or like, you know, other examples of things like that. But like words, you know, the content of the email, like the, the certain yeah. words trigger spam. Like people always, I think it's one of the biggest things people are nervous about. Like, oh, I can't use that word. It's going to make me in the spam folder. But well, what about, I'm also curious on the code side of it, you know, email coding and development, you know, like we have to try to keep our code clean and concise. Yeah, I, I would start the answer by saying that in 2022, it's less about what you send and it's more about what people are doing with what you send that matters, right? I mean, we, we work with a lot of different senders. Some of them, for example, are in the adult industry. And, and a lot of people were, would tell me like, oh, like the most difficult emails must be the adult industry emails to get. <laughs> no, because the people that subscribe to those lists, they have, they're really engaged. <laughs> they really, really, they, they look forward to that email. <laughs> exactly. They look forward to that email. They, they open it multiple times. Uh, they click on all the links, they scroll down, whatever. And so they're very explicit emails, but they get delivered correctly because of the engagement of the contact. So you can get away with a lot in your content if you manage your engagement correctly. 
Now, obviously, all of the things you mentioned have an incremental impact. Like if you have a lot of spam words in your emails, you will end up having more emails going to spam by default. If you have unprotected link, Gmail may place you into spam just by safety. What do you mean by an unprotected link? Like what? What's uh, you know, HTTPS, for example. Ah, uh, okay. The, the standard. Uh, if you have HTTP links, sometimes HTTP tracking links are not horrible. You can get away with that, but the destination link must be HTTPS. Okay. Otherwise, you're gonna trigger like um, I don't know if you've already that, seen uh, the, the yellow banner that says like, "Hey, like that email <laughs> contains link that are that may be suspicious because they're unprotected," and so. That's like a fast way to go to the spam. <laughs> it's not really that your spam is just that because you're not protecting the link. They don't want to take right. the It's link. just not smart. Like in, in Outlook also, I think it'll say like, oh, you're going to an unprotected yes. link. Are you sure you want to proceed? You know, you don't want to put anything in front of your subscriber to prevent them from getting to the, your landing page or, yes. you know, to your papers. Um, re regarding obviously the code, the HTML code is very important as well. You need to ensure that um, the code that you're generating is, is good quality. You, you want to do something light as much as possible and use the best practices. Uh, like when you um, put an image, use the alt tag, uh, make sure you don't generate too much of empty lines. Really align the plain text with the HTML because there's actually some warnings that are related to this uh, when, when your plain text doesn't match your HTML contents. Um, it may... Um, cause issue when you're inboxing. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's uh, on the HTML side, obviously, you need to respect the best practices. I, I would say one last thing is that the actual big problem that senders are, are facing is the Gmail promotion tab. If you do not respect the best practices in content, but you still have good engagement, your email will typically land into promotion for Gmail, which means you have a lot of social media links, very, very image heavy emails uh, with tons of links. Those will go into promotion all the time. So that, but, but they might not go to spam, right? If you have good engagement. Right. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions about deliverability? I would say like, Sometimes people, they misread the delivery rates with the deliverability rates, which means like, you know, when you don't have any bounces, they're like, oh yeah, like 19, I have like 98% of, of, of or, or 95, some people have high bounce rates, but they think it just means that their email is not going into main inbox. A bounce is an email that doesn't go into main inbox, right? So they're like, no, I don't have deliverability issue because 95% of my emails or making it correctly. And, and, and I told them after that, that it's not a measure of actually going into main inbox or spam, it's just reaching the recipient server. And, and, and actually, if you have only 95% delivery rate, you're probably going into spam because 5% bounce rate is way too high. So that, that is one of the misconceptions. I would say the second misconception is about like the time that it can take to recover it's it's not always like months. Like sometimes you're landing into spam because of something very simple. Like you have a missing authentication. You're not respecting like one of the best content practices, like having your uh, address in the footer. There, there's things that we can change very quickly that will get you back into main inbox. Now, there's also some more lengthy 
process to get back on a good reputation that you need to really work on. Uh, because obviously, like, you know, if you have done bad thing for six or seven months, um, you, you have emailed a lot of people that were inactive, for example, uh, it will take you a couple of weeks of focusing on the prior openers to get back uh, into my inbox. So, yeah, I would say that that's the common misconception about email deliverability that I get. Okay. What about the promotions tab? I mean, you mentioned the promotions tab. I think a lot of times people think of the promotions tab sort of like a spam folder, where like mm. if you are sending promotional content, like that's where it should go. <laughs> yes, yes. The the problem is Brent never see see it this way. They're like, oh, promotion folder. <laughs> it's like less good than than the inbox, which. I would somehow agree with this like thinking for some emails. Like obviously your transactional emails, password requests, welcome emails, you don't want them to go to promotion. But I, I also say to the people that yeah, promotion is not spam. Like you can still have very, very good open rates into promotion. And you have to look at the the level of interaction and the way. Like give you an example. For example, we had like a a client that went from promotion to main inbox for because we changed the content, we were able to refine the wording and all that. He goes, his email, he did have higher open rates, maybe like 20% higher open rates from going to promotion to main inbox. Now, what happened as well is the unsubscribe rates and the spam rates went up because people were used to getting that email into promotion and now they get into main inbox and they're like, that's that shouldn't be here, you know. It's too aggressive. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and so fast forward like a month and a half down the line, his email went back into promotion and even started going into spam because of the amount of negative right. interaction Attention. that it generated into into the main folder. So it's kind of a per case scenario. We want all of the stable emails to go into main inbox and um, the manual emails, depending on, 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 on how they're built, what is the targeting you sometimes you have to tell them like it's, it's, it's normal that it goes to promotion. So, yeah. and also like you have a degree of, you know, Gmail for, I mean, Gmail has a degree of, of personalization of the, depending on the mailbox that you're emailing. Uh, if, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, Maybe maybe you think your email is going into promotion, but maybe your frequent readers are getting it into main inbox. There's no like a Gmail will not just send everything to the same place. They will look at the individual behavior and say like, you know, you've engaged a lot with that content. Maybe you've dragged it from promotion to main inbox. And so we're going to get it. You, you, we're going to send it to you into main inbox. And then the inverse, like, you know, maybe you dragged out into from mailing box to promotion. And so we're going to keep on sending it to the promotion folder. It's a really big question for your new subscribers, right? Like the new scholars that have never got an email, where do they get it? And so, but that's easily testable because everyone can be a new subscriber of a brand. Like you just <laughs> like sign up to their email and see where it lands. Where and then, okay, well, we're settled. Like it lands here. <laughs> Uh-huh, for sure. I just think you always tell people, you know, more money is being made in the promotions tab than any other tab. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But it, it depends <laughs> on the email. It depends. I, I also agree that for some brands, like, but that also comes back to segmenting your traffic. If you have subdomains that are sending traffic by type, typically your transactional subdomains will have a lot more chances of landing into main inbox than your marketing subdomain. And so... Um, by, by segmenting your traffic type, you enter those transactional communication, do not make it to promotion 
inadvertently, you know, like they, they will always go into mailing box. So, um, yeah. Okay. Um, so we mentioned the, like, you know, authentication. So, you know, authentication, there's really three parts of it. It's SPF and this DKIM and this DMARC. Can you just explain a little bit like why it's three? Like why there's be like a key, you know, like just one piece. Like why are we like these three different things that we have to do? Because they have different purposes. Your SPF will just tell who's able to send emails on your behalf. So uh, I don't know. I don't know how it is in Israel. In France, we have a family book when you have a family and you have like almost like authorized users of, of your family documents. So it would be, you know, your wife, your kids and all that. So that would be the equivalent of your SPF record. You're like saying, you know, like I, you know, like let's this person do official things on my behalf, right? Then the DKIM key is is really like just a, just a, a number, a, a piece of hash that matches what you have in your software and, and it tells the recipient server like, oh, you're actually the owner of the domain because you've been able to copy paste that into your DNS. And you're also the one who has access to the sending platform because that piece of hash comes from the sending platform. So I think in the US they have like VIN, you know, the VIN number on the vehicle, which is like, it tells where the vehicle comes from. And this is literally your VIN number. It's, it just says like, okay, like, you're, you're not just a random person claiming to be in possession of my DNS and my my uh, email marketing platform. Like the hash matches what's in the platform and what's in my DNS. So it, it is very important. And then DMARC is not an actual authentication record. It's a, it's a monitoring record. It just means that DMARC will help you make sure you have visibility on the way SPF and DKIM are used across your sending platform. You have things that are uh, called DMARC monitors, and you can see all of your sending sources into a, uh, some kind of like a visual interface. And this helps you say, okay, you know, my marketing interface is correctly authenticated, but my transactional interface is not correctly authenticated. Okay. So something that's been coming up, it just became bigger. You know, I don't know so much about it. Um, but it's something to do with so this thing is called Bimmy, which I know a lot of people worked on it. Maybe you'd worked on it also. But yeah, can you explain what that is? Should every brand have it? Is it only for big brands? Bimmy is additional authentication record that will allow you to mostly display a picture on the mailbox of the receiving end. Obviously, some people get confused about uh, because, for example, if you have a Gmail email, you can also display an email based on your Gmail profile picture, but it will only display at the Gmail recipient, right? Same for Outlook. It will only, if you have an Outlook mailbox, you send emails, uh, you can display an image on the mailbox of your receiving server, but it will only work for Outlook recipients. Um, BMI is a way to deliver a bigger image, a bigger brand uh, into the the, 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 receiving, the recipient server. Not a lot of brands have it. It won't be something that automatically triggers. Like if you have bad reputation, for example, if you have uh, if your emails are landing into spam already, you're not gonna get out of spam because of this, and you're not gonna be able to display an image. Like it's not like a free out of spam cards, mm -hmm. right? It's just like for really really good senders that wants to display an image, they can do that. Um, it's complicated process. You need to get your brand logo certified. Depending on your country, I, I know in the US it takes about 
six to nine months at least um, to get your 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 logo. Uh, it's called VMC, Verified Mark Certificate. And so in, you need to go to like the U.S. labor or uh, one of the uh, government offices and, and then basically trademark your logo. And so it takes a long time. Then you need to pay uh, for our clients. In my opinion, uh, my my uh, what I remember is was about maybe two thousand dollars for uh, the VMC certificates. For example, like there's a company called DigiCert. They will uh, offer you VMC certificates, but it's quite pricey, right? So it's so it's and it's per year, right? It's, it's two grants per year, and if you don't renew it, then it won't be displayed the next year. Yeah, exactly. So it's like a two grand per year membership. And then you also need to have a logo that's in a specific format, SVG format. Um, anyway, the process is complicated. It's not impossible. We've done it in the past, but it's only, I would say, for people that send at least, I would say, 10 to 15 million emails per month and that already have a well-established brand what we do see with BMI is an increase in open rates, an increase in click, and an increase in brand recognition. But it's not something like it doesn't go from like 50% higher, right? It's more like, oh, like 10 or 15% higher. Well, do you think that's because, I mean, like I'm only familiar with Gmail for myself, but like if you're saying in some sending platforms, like I'll see like an Adidas logo where everyone else is like an A, a B, a C, or D, or whatever. But I don't know, you know, in my inbox, I see a logo instead of like a letter, like that makes me stand out, you know, like, so they oh, yeah, that, to be like the, that does make you stand out. But that, that's what I'm saying, like, that does make you stand out. That doesn't create an in, incredible, like, you're not going to go from like 30 to like 80% open rate. <laughs> uh, you're more going to go from like 30 to like 35%. Okay. And then it doesn't display everywhere. You know, BMI uh, is, is currently not uh, adopted by all of the mailboxes. I think Gmail is now doing a trial. I think Yahoo has it since a, a while. I don't think Outlook is supporting BMI yet. I might, I may be wrong. There, there, there is some really good BMI specialists out there, but yeah, it's, it's not used everywhere. Uh, and, and it's also like some subscribers, they don't really care. I mean, you know, you you have to also think that you have your view as Berg email marketing expert. The B2C population, okay, they will see a bigger logo. And so what? You know, <laughs> that made for them such a huge, huge impact. So, yeah, I, I would say it's a great thing if you can do it, if you want to do it. And you can also do an A-B test. You, you, you do before BMI, you do after BMI, so yearly engagement. No, worst case scenario, you just don't renew your VMC and then you move on to not using BMI. So it's not a big deal. Right. Okay. All right. What are your, some of your favorite brands? For uh, email marketing? Uh, for for email, email? I mean, either as what they're doing in the email space or, you know, or it could be tools. It could be whatever you want, you know? like. Uh, I would say, well, and it's not because it's your sponsor, because <laughs> I work <laughs> <laughs> I like OnGage. Um, I've discovered OnGage like maybe a year, year and a half ago, and uh, we're we're now helping them with the deliverability of their senders. Uh, they refer us some people that have issues or or some people 
somehow prior from onboarding them, they like that we can take a look at them and uh, some kind of like give them an, a pre-approval that the sender is actually going to respect the best practices. I do like OnGage for the flexibility. I mean, it's just a, it's just a user interface. Like it's a really good user interface and you connect it with whichever mailman you want. So by mailman, I say SMTP, right? Like SendGrid, MailGuard, whatever you want. So I, I, I really think it's, um, it was a smart call like to do a software like this it was quite like a good vision of the market to think like oh like you know maybe like two three years down the line people will actually pay for my software because i give them a lot of flexibility no one else did this and now i see a lot of software trying to catch up on this like offering um third-party smtp connections say okay you can deliver via this channel you can also deliver via this channel if you prefer so yeah, I think it was I think it was good, and then in general they have good customer service, and I like working with them. So, but that's kind of like personal. <laughs> um, I also like uh, as a sending software expert sender. They're from East European country. They're amazing customer service, and they're just people that care about their senders. They do regular deliverability checkup for their senders. They have like great alert mechanism. Um, I just think like I, I enjoy working with their team. Um, so. They're doing a lot of affiliate emails, affiliate marketing. Now we do work with uh, uh, several of the brands that uh, uses experts out there as well. So yeah, I, I know them well, and I know that they're robust software. All I would say, engage and expert senders are for like medium to large senders. They're not for like small senders because they're kind of like they have a certain price to start. For really small senders, I like to refer them to Send in Blue. Not because they're French. <laughs> they're not in French anymore. They mostly are in India. Uh, but oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're 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 customer support team, and uh, I believe part of the development team is in India now as well. But um, I just like the fact that with Sending Blue, you know, I'm I'm a numbers guy, and in my job, I need to see a lot of numbers, and um, I, I like software when they give you granular reporting. And sending blue does. And so it gives you a really good quality of reporting for an entry level software. They have shared IP, dedicated IP. I mean, they can power, they can power big senders as well, but um, they're just more affordable at the beginning than, than an RDH or an expert sender membership. So I, I do like those three software as sending platform. And then in general, like as, as an SMTP provider, so mailman, right? I like Postmark because they're on shared IPs and I like the flexibility of shared IPs. I think the future will be built on shared IPs, but that's just... <laughs> that's just <laughs> that's an interesting just, idea. Yeah, because I, I, I just think like shared IP only has benefits if you're sharing it with the right senders. And Postmark is really doing a big job at approving their senders like if you want to join postmark you need to basically get in touch with their customer service make sure that they know what you're sending and i, I do know postmark is not the only one doing this right but i i, right. I think that the the mechanism of like approving the sender is really good what it yeah does, surprised it's more you know you don't have more of that like most esps are not you know putting through no. putting their customers through hoops to to, to be able to send on their platform no, because yeah. most ESPs, well, first, I've, I don't know if you've seen that, but for me, like a lot of ESPs are pushing their customers to go on dedicated IP. This way, they don't have to care about their deliverability. You know, if you're, if you're uh. a shared IP, you're putting the responsibility on yourself to say, I will maintain the heels 
of the shared IP for the senders. And if something goes wrong, you know, you're the one as, as a provider who is going to have to delist it, work with the ISP. All the dedicated IP, they can do, they're on their own. You know, like if they have spam issues, then they have to work to delist themselves and all that. So I have seen it in, in my experience, so many brands just say like, oh, like, yeah, like you start on the shared IP, but then whenever you start actually emailing like more than like five or 10,000 people a day, go on a dedicated IP, it's way better. No, it's not that easy. For me, like shared IPs are really amazing. Dedicated IP are only for a specific type of senders, transactional senders mostly, because they have the volume regularity that needs to be achieved. So yeah, I, I think like those kind of, of provider, like Postmark, SparkPost as well, that does a great job with their with their shared IP. Green Arrow, yeah, I, I, a lot of senders, a lot of SMTP now realize the importance of not uh, allowing everyone to join their shared IP pool. So um, I think it's good, and it's 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 gonna be a progress for for the industry overall to make sure that we we don't let anyone go on those shared IPs. All right. Yeah, great. So, all right, you've been doing this like a, for a few years or at least a year and a half, but even more than that. So what is the pro- your proudest moment or thing you're most proud of in the email space? Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I would say it's a bit cheesy, but I like when <laughs> I like when we, we were able to like improve the variability of a customer. I think it's quite like a proud moment and, and not really, not much other. Now I have a team, right? So I'm not the one who's actually working at implementing the items, but I just think it's it's good to be able to see that you, you've built processes, you've built procedures, you've built a service that actually allows you to generate value for someone else across the world that you've never seen in your life. So yeah, I think that's kind of like, I, I like, and the team also likes it. It's a good team and, and personal moment when someone has, has better deliverability because of our, our job. All right, um, we've come to the end. So just, you, you know, you kind of like have the floor for whatever your final thoughts are. Anything else you want to share? Yeah, so uh, no, I think, I think it was, uh, it's, it, look, it's, it's a pleasure to be on, on, your, on your podcast. I think I'm always reachable for any questions uh, on the deliverability standpoints. And I'm, I'm, I'm some, I take a lot of pleasure into sharing knowledge Um Obviously, freely, like I, I've never paid, I've never made anyone paid for advices or anything. I think it's a pleasure to be able to have discussions like this. Uh, but I mean, that one is public, right? Uh, but we also have like more private discussions with with other people related to a single topic. I I, I don't think I'm, I'm, you know, like there, there's a lot of very great deliverability experts in the world. But I think we, we have we're seeing a fair share of different scenarios and, and interesting scenarios so um, i'm really open like if, if anyone wants to contact me with questions it's, it's a pleasure to answer them all right awesome uh so there you have it folks pierre pignol from uh, Nelsor. check him out all right that's our show for today um thanks for everyone for coming and listening in uh remember to subscribe to the podcast and um and that's it have a great day guys